This is the One Verse Podcast, where we liberate scripture from religion one verse at a time. Well, hello, and thank you for joining me once again for another episode of the One Verse Podcast. I'm your teacher for this podcast, Jeremy Myers. Hey, just to let you know, if if you are listening to this and have had trouble recently finding my podcast on iTunes, I had a little trouble with Apple on this. Their website that hosts the podcast went down, and as part of that, they said that my podcast was no longer working properly when really it was their website. And so for some silly reason, they took it off of iTunes temporarily, and I was on customer service support with Apple this morning. They're going to get that fixed, but it just might take a while. So if you're listening to this, hopefully you've been able to download it off of iTunes properly, and everything is working fine. Thank you for persevering with me through that little snafu with Apple. A billion-dollar company, and they their websites go down too every time from time to time. Makes me feel better when redeeminggod.com goes down. It's just me <laughs> trying to keep it up and running. So anyway, thank you for your patience. Listen, uh, as long as we're talking about redeeminggod.com, I invite you to join my online discipleship group. Uh, we have uh, uh, people joining every week. They take the online courses, interact at our private Facebook group, our private forum, asking questions, encouraging one another in our walk with Jesus. It's a safe place and a great group of people from all over the world. We just had someone this week join from Poland, uh, although they're living in uh, the United Kingdom right now, so uh, temporarily. So anyway... Uh, if, if, if that's something that you are interested in learning more about and participating in, just go to redeeminggod.com join and you can get all of the details there. Can't wait to see you there. So we're going to be talking about the second death today from Revelation 20 verses 6 and 14 and Revelation 21, 8. What is the second death? Is it a place where people are tortured and burned forever in all eternity, screaming in agony? Some people think so. (laughs) In fact, lots of people think so. I suggested otherwise on a Facebook post this week, and I don't think I've been called a heretic so many times in one week uh, as I have been on Facebook this week because of me simply asking, questioning, challenging the idea that hell is a place where God tortures people forever. It's amazing to me that so many Christians actually want a place where God tortures people forever and will defend it to the death. Anyway, uh, part of that is the second death, and we will be talking about that in today's One Verse Podcast episode. So let's just dive right into that. Revelation 20, verses 6 and verses 14, verse 6 and 14, and then also Revelation 21, 8, describe an event called the second death, all right? Uh, It's contrasted with those who did not participate in the first resurrection, which is the resurrection of all believers at the return of Jesus Christ. Uh, Those who are not believers, apparently, in these verses, end up experiencing the second death. Maybe I should just read the verses. Revelation 20, verses 6 and 14, and Revelation 21, 8 say this. Blessed and holy is he who was part of the first resurrection. Okay, so if you're part of the uh, of Christianity, if you're a believer in Jesus, then you will have part in the first resurrection. And so blessed and holy is he who has part in the first resurrection. Over such, the second death has no power. So obviously those who are believers in Jesus will not experience a second death, whatever it is. 
Then verse 14, Revelation 20, 14. Then death and Hades were cast into the lake of fire. This is the second death. All right, so death and Hades are cast into the lake of fire, and that's the second death. What does that mean? Very strange. Then Revelation 21.8, but the cowardly, unbelieving, abominable, murderers, sexually immoral, sorcerers, idolaters, and all liars shall have their part in the lake of fire, which burns with fire and brimstone, which is the second death. All right, so what is this second death? Now, first of all, it should be interesting to note, we should be asked the question, um, uh, the author of Hebrews says in Hebrews 9.27 that it is destined for humans to die once and then after that face judgment. So if humans are destined to die once, then how can John, here in the verses we've just read, write about a second death? What does this mean? How does it work? First of all, I want to point out that one common view on the second death is that it refers to annihilationism. Annihilationism is the view that after people die this physical, from this physical world, from this world, after they physically die on this earth, then they might spend a while in some place of torment or not or whatever, some sort of existence, limbo, who knows, purgatory type experience maybe. And eventually, maybe immediately, depends on the view, God annihilates them. He causes them to cease to exist. All right, and so some people say the second death is that annihilation. They say that if the first death is physical death from this earth, then the second death is the death of your spirit or the death of your soul. All right, so you cease to exist physically and then you cease to exist spiritually or soulishly, you know, something like that. And so that's how they would describe the second death. Annihilationism. God annihilates the person. I am not an annihilationist. I do not hold to annihilationism. Uh, And there's lots of reasons for that. One of those, though, is to recognize that death does not mean non-existent. All right? Even when a person dies physically, it does not mean that their body ceases to exist. A dead body is still there. A dead body, even though it decays, ashes to ashes, dust to dust, returns to the ground, that sort of a thing, okay, the dead body is there. And so it does not, it was not annihilated. It did not cease to exist. And I would argue the same thing for the second death. Just as the first death is not the annihilation of the body, so also second death is not an annihilationism either. I talk a lot more about the word death in my Gospel Dictionary online course under the lesson for death. And so uh, I I really make the case there that death does not mean non-existent. By the way, very important for helping to understand James 2 about dead faith, right? Dead faith does not mean non-existent faith. Dead faith is real faith. Dead faith does exist. Anyway, that's a rabbit trail. Uh, we We won't go down on that tangent in this episode. Here, the thing is, so, so what is death? Let's talk about the first death, this physical death. What is death? Basically, what it means is that when a person dies, their body dies, it means that their body, that person, is no longer functioning the way God intended. All right? And death can be used, the word dead can be used in a symbolic sense in this way as well. 
Um, we read, for example, in various places in the Old Testament that uh, Abraham's body was dead, even though he's still alive. What did that mean? It means that his sexual reproductive organs were no longer properly working, okay? We, we talk about dead relationships. They are dead to me. Well, that doesn't mean they've actually died. The, the person who is dead to you might be very much alive. It just means that the relationship is no longer functioning the way it is supposed to. And then, of course, there's that dead faith in James 2. That just means that the faith is not functioning the way God desired, created, or intended it to. Okay? So, based on that I, that concept of dead, oh, and then when a person physically dies, their body is lying there. God didn't create a body to lie there and do nothing. God created the body to interact with him and with each other and with the animals and creation to do things and serve him, okay? Not just in this life, but in eternity. So, anyway, with that in mind, it helps us understand what the second death might be. It means that the person who experiences the second death is not living God's plan and purposes for them in eternity. The first death is they don't live out God's plan and purposes for them in this life. The second death, they don't live out God's plan and purposes for them in the next life, in eternal life, in eternal death, in a sense. So I would say, if we're looking for a short definition of the second death, the second death is simply being separated in eternity from what God wants and plans for humanity, or for that person who undergoes the second death. All right? So, how then is the second death related to the lake of fire? Because in a couple of places there in the passages we read, after talking about the lake of fire, John says, actually Jesus, the revelation of John, says this is the second death. The lake of fire is, in some way, some sense, equated to the second death. So what does that mean? Well, this is even a a much larger study and we would have to understand what the lake of fire is and, and how it refers to what John is using this symbol to describe in, in Revelation 20 and 21. I do want you to understand, though, that it does not mean that unregenerate people are swimming around in a lake of lava and fiery brimstone, okay? Um, by the way, there's a whole study I have that you can download on this. Just go to, there's a couple, uh, just go to, for example, redeeminggod.com, second death revelation that, that has a way for you to get this downloadable study. There's other ways as well, but that's probably the best way. Two hour MP3 teaching. One of them, part of that is me talking about the lake of fire, but let me just sort of summarize some of what you would learn in that study. Also, by the way, this is all in the gospel dictionary online course as well under uh, the study on the word hell. Um, let, me, let, me, let me back up, though, and we'll talk about the lake of fire, some of what you would learn in that lesson or in that study. If I told you that I was going to go to Salt Lake next week, would you imagine that this meant that next week I would put on some swimming trunks and go swim around in a salty lake? <laughs> you wouldn't. You would recognize that Salt Lake is a town, a city that is known for 
a salty lake. It has this giant salty lake on the shore of it, and Salt Lake City is not in Salt Lake, and those who live in Salt Lake don't live in the salty lake, right? (laughs) They live in the city of Salt Lake, which is in Utah. So I would invite you to think of the Lake of Fire or the Fiery Lake sort of in that way. Just because God sends people to live at the Lake of Fire or in the Lake of Fire, depending on how you even translate the the Greek there, doesn't mean that he is sending them to live forever uh, swimming around in a lake of fire and lava and brimstone while they scream forever for all eternity. All right? Uh, it, it means that they're living someplace else, and it is it could be potentially described as the fiery lake, the salt lake. By the way, when John was writing this, there was an actual place on planet Earth that people referred to as the fiery lake or the lake of fire. Do you want to know where that was? In fact, it's still on Earth today. You can go visit it today if you want. It's expensive, especially if you live here in the United States or in other places, but you can go visit the Fiery Lake today. Where is it? It's the Dead Sea. All right, The Lake of Fire was, in John's day, was one of the names that people used to refer to the Dead Sea. So back in John's day, if someone said, I'm going to go visit the Lake of Fire... People would know they're not talking about going to hell, suffering forever, burning in fire and brimstone for all eternity. No, that meant they were going to go visit the Dead Sea. And maybe they would even swim around in the Dead Sea the way some people do today. You know, they float on it. Doesn't mean they're burning or screaming for in agony forever. It means that they're floating in the water of the Dead Sea. And there's a whole bunch of reasons why it was referred to as the Lake of Fire or the Fiery Lake. Um, and also why John can write about people going down there. It's related to the Valley of Hinnom, or Gehenna. And there was a stream bed when it rained. Uh, the rains would often wash out the ashes and from all the dead bodies and the garbage that had been burning in the Valley of Hinnom in Gehenna. And they would go down this uh, stream bed of fire. It was a, a fiery river. That's what they called it. It's not burning. It just means that... Uh, it, That's how they described it back then, and it would end up in the Dead Sea, the Fiery Lake. Anyway, there's a whole bunch of historical, cultural background that you need to uh, uh, study to learn about how the Fiery Lake, Lake of Fire, is related to the Dead Sea, and how all of that helps us understand what John is talking about here in, in, in Revelation chapter 20. All right? Uh, and then all the symbolism as well, especially all these sins that that John mentions in Revelation twenty one eight, you know the 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 sexually immoral and the idolatry and the abominable, the unbelieving, the cowardly. You know what I find funny about that list of sins, by the way, is lots of people ignore that last one, and the liars. <laughs> they say, "Oh, see the cowardly, the unbelieving, the abominable, the murderers, the sexually immoral, the sorcerers, the idolaters. All of them are going to go to hell and burn forever." And I always want to say, "Have you ever told a lie?" I mean, probably all of us, to some degree or another, are not being completely honest with other people in one way or another. Our bosses, our spouses, our children, our parents, one way or another. Which means, to one degree or another, we're all liars. Does that mean that we all are going to go to hell and burn forever? No, it doesn't mean that. And therefore, it doesn't mean that for the other sins either. Anyway, that also is a tangent and sort of uh, 
a rabbit trail that we don't need to go down, but it, it just shows you that we need to think more carefully about the second death and about the lake of fire. Anyway, all of that sort of background, what's the lake of fire? Well, it originally referred to the Dead Sea, but how does that help? Does that mean that in eternity, you know, unbelievers are going to be swimming around in the Dead Sea? No, it doesn't mean that either. There's symbolism here, cultural, historical background, ideas and pictures and images that we need to understand to help us understand what John is talking about here when he writes about the second death. Here's the thing, though. Here's what we know for sure. Since John is using all this symbolism, this cultural terminology that people in his day would have understood. Takes a little work for us to understand it, but since they would have understood it, what it definitely means is, is that whatever the second death is, it doesn't mean annihilationism. We talked about that because death is not annihilation. But it also means that it is not an eternal torture chamber where God burns people in flames and brimstone and lava for all eternity. All right? The Dead Sea was not on fire. And so, therefore, the lake of fire isn't a place of burning brimstone either. I think what we're understanding here is John is pulling all these images together, and he's basically saying that the second death is a continuation in eternity of the type of death that we experience in this life, but in an amplified way. All right, you think about it. This world, this life, is governed and ruled and dominated by death, right? The reasons we make the choices we make oftentimes is because death is coming. Uh, fear of death guides much of our choices as well. We feel like time is limited. And also, we experience death in a sort of uh, symbolic way, as I mentioned earlier, with death of relationships and uh, death of our plans and goals and dreams, what we wanted out of our life. All of that is related to death. Death is not living this life the way God desired or intended, and it's full of frustration and pain and suffering and problems and, and not living up to our full potential. I would say that the second death is something similar to that. It is life lived in eternity that is the opposite of what God wanted for a person in eternity. This life is a temporal life in an existence of death. That's why there's so much frustration and fear and problems in this life. The second death is the same sort of life with problems and frustrations and fears, but without ever ending, without an end to them. If you listen to my podcast episodes on Genesis chapter 3, then you know that death is not a curse, at least physical death. Death is actually the, 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 the death that God put upon, allowed to come upon Adam and Eve and all humans that follow them. It is actually a blessing from God because it provides a way of escape from a never-ending life on this world filled with all the frustrations and problems that came as a result of them disobeying God. Okay? And so we, as Christians, as believers in Jesus, can actually look forward to death, as Paul wrote about. 
All right? To live is Christ, but to die is gain. He's looking forward to it. And we, as Christians, can live that same way, with that expectation, looking forward to death in a sense. Not that we're morbid, right? We don't want to die, but we can say, you know what? Death is just a step into a new, a better way of existence in eternity. Because it allows us to escape the frustrations and problems of this life. But the second death, those who experience second death, it's basically eternal existence with no end, but with all the frustrations and problems that come of not living the way God wants and desires. Look at it this way. Jesus talks about being born again. Right? But being born again doesn't mean you start your life over. It instead refers to the transformations of a person's life so that they can now live the rest of their life in the way God wants. With that sort of idea in mind, I think we can say that to die again, or we could refer to that as the second death, if being born again is you're starting your life to live the way God wants, then to die again means that you are continuing your life. You're not starting over. You're continuing your life, continuing in the direction that God doesn't want or desire for you. Anyway, I'm sort of going around in circles here just to try to get you this concept into your mind. Second death is not annihilation. It's also not an eternal torture chamber burning in brimstone and fire for all eternity. It's basically living in an entrenched or solidified way that is constantly in rebellion against what God wants. It's an irreversible step on a path that leads away from what God wanted and desired for you. I believe this is actually the view of C.S. Lewis. He wrote a book called The Great Divorce, and uh, he claims that this book was pure fiction, that um, you know it did not actually describe what he thought hell might be like. Now, after all, uh, I, my comment, I had a post on Facebook this week where I got condemned as a heretic by many Christians simply for questioning and challenging the view that hell is an eternal torture chamber. You'd think that Christians would be happy to give up on that idea, but it turns out they're not. Most Christians want to hold on to that idea and will call and condemn anybody a heretic who challenges it. I think C.S. Lewis was aware of that, and so when he wrote The Great Divorce, which is a work of fiction, it is, um, but he was careful to say, this is not my view of hell, this is just fiction. Uh, I'm thinking maybe it probably was close to his view of hell. And in this book, anyway, he writes about a man who finds himself in hell. And one of the first things he does is hop on a bus that apparently is going to take him to visit heaven, where they invite him to stay if he wants. And most people who take this bus trip to heaven end up returning to hell because they find that heaven is not a suitable place for them. They don't like it there. It doesn't fit with them and who they are and what they want and what they desire out of life. Ultimately, what C.S. Lewis describes in this book is that hell, the lake of fire, the second death, is a place where God lets people live however they want according to their own selfish desires. And Lewis writes that when first people when when people first arrive in the town, they're very they're right in the very center of this sprawling city, very much like any town you might find on earth, except in this town nobody has any needs. You can get anything you want simply by thinking about it, wanting it. You can build yourself a mansion, a great big house if you want it. All right, and so people move into any house they want. 
and they start living in their new existence. Going to work, hanging out with the people they find there, having conversations, playing cards, whatever it is they want to do. But within a few days or a few weeks, they quarrel with one of their neighbors and they just can't get along. And so they move to another street where there's fewer people. And this cycle goes on and on until eventually people have moved so far away from everybody else that they are living all alone, all by themselves, with not another person around for millions and millions of miles. All right? Some people get to the point where they are light years away from where they actually started in the center of town, still focusing on themselves and their needs and what they want, and now nobody understands them and nobody can help them and nobody gets along with them, right? It's everybody else's fault, everybody else's problem. They want to blame everybody else rather than recognize that it's their own selfishness and their own self-centeredness. Anyway, that's the book, The Great Divorce. I highly recommend you read it if you haven't. But I think that Lewis was onto something there. If this life, this earthly life, continued in that way, and Jesus and the Holy Spirit and the gospel did not take root in our lives, and we were, each one of us, allowed to live as selfishly as we wanted, that is exactly what Lewis describes is exactly what would happen in this life. We would grow more and more selfish, suffering the consequences of our own selfish decisions until eventually we couldn't live near anybody else for all eternity. And we would be completely alone, cut off, separated from everybody else. But since humanity was made for community, made for relationships, then that way of living, completely cut off and separated from everybody else, in a way, you could describe that as hell, because it's the opposite of what God wants and desires for us. That would be, a great way of describing that, would be the second death. It's the form of death we experience in this life, and yet it just gets worse and worse over time. There's never any reverse to it, and we end up completely cut off from everybody else. So I would say that as eternal life, okay, we can begin to experience eternal life here and now on this earth. Eternal life is life lived to its full potential, as God wants and desires for us. Eternal death, or the second death, is a life lived where nobody achieves their potential. The life lived in the second death is not up to the potential at all, human potential at all, but to the opposite. It is an everlasting death. It is an everlasting experience of selfish human decisions. So those who experience a second death, living in the realm of death, but never dying, they're basically living in a hell of their own making. Their eternal existence is dominated by the sins mentioned in Revelation 21.8. And that's why those are mentioned there. Why are the people there described in such ways? Because that's how they live. With idolatry, sorcery, sexual immorality, all the things that describe the death way of living in this life as well. In eternity, there's no death to deliver these people from those sorts of ways of living. Never any way for them to make a change. And so that's why John describes it as the second death. So I'm not sure what you think about this. I encourage you to think about it, dwell upon it. I'm writing a book on hell, uh, which hopefully will be out later this year, maybe first part of 2019, if I 
I can get it finished and get it out there, where I talk about this view more. Also, look at numerous other texts and passages from Scripture that will describe this. But uh, in the meantime, you can also join my online discipleship group where I have an entire dictionary entry in the Gospel Dictionary online course on hell. And a lot of what I talk about in that lesson will also find its way into the book. So if you just can't wait, that'd be the place to get it by joining the online discipleship group, taking the online course, and then uh, taking the lesson on, on fire and on hell, even on death. Probably those three, three terms will help you understand the passages in the Bible more that refer to this. But I would like to know your questions and comments. You can reach out to me on Facebook, ask your questions that way. Or just go to my blog, find the one of my blog posts on hell or fire or the second death. You can just search for it and you'll find it. Search for the second death on Google, secondeathredeeminggod.com. Ask a question that way and I'll try and answer it as best I can. Anyway, thank you so much for listening. I encourage you, even if you think I'm a heretic <laughs> for what I just taught, think about it. Be a noble Berean. Search the scriptures to see if these things are so rather than just condemning me. Okay, I am trying to search the scriptures myself and teach the things to you that I am learning about how to see God in light of Jesus Christ. I don't think Jesus Christ could ever send someone to burn and suffer for all eternity in flames of fire. So therefore, God can't and won't do that either. All right. I hope this is encouraging, insightful, instructive to you. And reach out to me with your questions and comments. Thank you for listening. And thank you for listening to the podcast. If you enjoyed this, please tell others to to subscribe as well. It's a great way to encourage me and also help the word get out about the things we're learning together. Thank you so much. We'll see you next week. Remember, may your life and theology look more and more like Jesus Christ.